have your Bibles, if you could take them and turn to Psalm 130. If you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, that'll be page 355. It's in the middle of your Bible. wanted to give you a visual image of a couple of things that for me can be pretty instant mood changers. So let me show the first one of those. So yeah, this, I've run across this more than once, like in getting the kids to school in the morning when I do it occasionally, and this is, this is not a good day. So this means I'm going to have to go uh, an unintended path, if you will. And so this one is matched also by the other one. Can you show that one? Yeah, that one will change my mood in a hurry as well. And the only thing that is worse than that is when delays is on the bottom line and then there's the long adjective. Expect long delays as if you're not getting out of this one. You're stuck in it. I I want this image to be in our mind because I, I want to talk about delays and detours. We have, we've dug into the subject of patience called the, the waiting game. And delays and detours are a part of this. And we're looking specifically as, as to what it means to wait on the Lord. And this includes detours and delays. And those are significant when they have like a, a spiritual component to it. When it's not just me and my morning commute, but it's life. And I'm on a detour. And I'm delayed. There's a psalm that speaks, uh, lots of psalms that speak to this. But I've asked Matt Hall to come up and read uh, Psalm 130 for us this morning. So Psalm 130. My soul waits for the Lord, a song of ascents. Starting in verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Thank you, Matt. Verse 5 of that psalm says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. We wait. John Piper has said that patience is a deepening, ripening, peaceful willingness to wait for God, first in the unplanned place of obedience, and to walk with God at the unplanned pace of obedience. You see the detours and the delays. Impatience, he says, is what we begin to feel when we start to doubt the wisdom of God's timing, the delay or the goodness of God's guidance, what we perceive as the detour. The wisdom of God's timing, or the goodness of God's guidance, when when we begin to doubt that, is an indicator that we have grown impatient. Going to look at this subject over the next few weeks, but I don't know of any other character in the Bible 
where we, especially in the Old Testament, where you see waiting kind of embodied, like the character of Joseph. So Joseph's story is told in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, the last probably 14 chapters of that, of that book tell a story of a man who is waiting. And I want us just in the short amount of time, we're not going to be able to unpack. I mean, Joseph lived 110 years. So we're not going to be able to unpack every detail of his life. But I I want us to see him as this lens by which we understand what it means to to kind of play the waiting game when we're waiting on God, especially through delays and detours. I mean, Joseph endured some really, really hard things in his life. And and yet some of his last words, the last words we have recorded by Joseph... He speaks to those who had made his life miserable, his brothers. And I want you to see those words. So this is in Genesis chapter 50. And of course, you're welcome to turn to there or or it'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says to those that have made his life miserable. He says, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. So this verse is not unlike Romans 8.28, which says, you know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. That this passage in Joseph, his words are not unlike that. It's not unlike Psalm 84:11 that says the Lord is a sun and a shield the Lord will bestow favor and glory he won't keep back he won't withhold anything from those who are walking uprightly this is this is Joseph reflecting those exact truths yet i i think if we if we don't take time those words almost sound like and they lived happily ever after and it just sounds trite you know it it all got resolved and it's all okay. Everybody's good. And when we, when we take something like the end of Genesis, the end of Joseph's life, and we just say they all lived happily ever after, we miss something. We miss one thing in particular that I, that I have to kind of correct myself when I'm reading the Bible. Is sometimes I don't realize how much time elapses as I'm reading the story. So I might read this story, that story, this story, and I think, oh, that was Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and then it all, it all got worked out. But did you know, I mean, often the timetables in Scripture are like 10 years, 20 years. Sometimes in between chapters, you're, you're talking about a 13-year, 15-year wait. So I always have to remind myself, like, okay, what was Joseph doing in that? Because like the next chapter doesn't just mean the next day. I have to remind myself of time. I, often, I also have to remind myself when I, especially when I approach a character like Joseph, I have to remind myself that he is human. I'm so tempted to think of like biblical characters like Joseph or Daniel, David, you know, Ruth, some of these as if they're superstars, the all-stars. And the rest of us kind of are way, way, way down. And sometimes we forget that they're human I mean, we almost treat them as if pain doesn't hurt them. Or as if it never occurs to them to to doubt whether God's good or real or present. It's it's almost as if we we think the problems they had, like Joseph had some of these problems, it's almost as if we treat them as they're theoretical, not real. 
But let's dive into Joseph, realizing some of this waiting is going to take, this story that we're going to take a few minutes and look at is is compressed this morning, but it expanded over time. And Joseph is a real human being. When Joseph is a teenager, he has this dream, a vision. And that dream is that he would be central to his his family, like God's plan for his family. He would be right at the center. And that was especially significant because his family was significant to God's whole plan for the world. So Joseph, who's the, the youngest brother at the time, and he's got lots of older brothers, announces like, I'm the center of the universe. I just had this dream about it. Actually, I had two of them. You can imagine, I mean, I'm I'm the youngest. I've got six siblings. So, I mean, you can just imagine how this goes over. It doesn't go over well. But it gets, I mean, to brutal, brutal proportions when Joseph is a victim of human trafficking. He's sold into slavery. And so we're, 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 we follow his story. And we have to just imagine, again, Joseph isn't a robot. He's a human. And what is this doing in his soul on waiting or being patient Somewhere and somehow Joseph developed this view of a big God. Just amazing how often in the story of Joseph, it says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Unless we think, wow, Joseph was just a lucky guy. I mean, I don't think anybody's, the victims of human trafficking aren't lucky people. So, So he is dealing with some very painful things and yet God is big in his life. Yeah, I know Joseph had a big God in his life because all throughout this week, I've listened to how he talked. You know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in here comes out of our mouths. For the next few minutes, can I, can I take us with Joseph and let's just kind of put our ear to how Joseph processes everything that's happening, even as he's waiting for God's good plan to unfold. So Joseph ends, in Egypt, ends up in Egypt where he's advanced in, in this household of a man named Potiphar who's the captain of the guard and he becomes like the lead servant there. The Bible tells us in Genesis 39 that Potiphar had a wife and that wife began to make advances at Joseph. And so some of you are familiar with the story. She's pursuing Joseph for an adulterous relationship. Will Joseph be patient? I think it teaches us something that actually impatience can weaken your will to fight sin. So we can look at Joseph who has dealt with unbelievable mess and we could see where if he were impatient... Where he were, if he were impatient in the least, this would be like a, an opportunity to act on, you know, I've dealt with a lot of mess in my life. I'm tired of the delays. I'm tired, on the de- tired of the detours. Waiting on the Lord, that doesn't seem like, what does that give me here? Where has it gotten me to this point? It would have been easy for him to give in, especially in the area of sexual temptation. Like impatience still weakens our will to fight sin. Remaining pure before the Lord as a single is not easy and the impatience grows like, ah, I mean, is it really worth waiting? Is it really worth waiting on a, a believer 
to date? Is it, or, or just, I mean, why wait? Where is God in any of this? He is in a place where he's ripe for impatience and where that impatience could lead him to go off the rails with his walk with God. But Joseph has a big God. So I want you to listen to what Joseph says. In Genesis 39, 9, he says this, how could I do this great wickedness and sin? But he doesn't just say sin. And sin against whom? Against God. So Joseph has this big God and he knows I can't. I can't do this against him once again. Let's not forget that Joseph is human. Let's not forget the time that had passed in his life. Let's not forget that he he could have certainly said, you know, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting on the Lord. I'm tired of being patient. I'm just going to, I'm going to do what I want to do. He could have easily doubted God's goodness and his wisdom and his guidance. And yet he makes a decision that sets back his career path, will totally alter his life likely land him in prison if he's not killed. And he says, I'm waiting on the Lord. I don't know every temptation you face. I don't know where it's unusually fierce at this moment in your life. I don't know where the impatience is like weak in your will to to do the right thing. I, I don't know, but I know it can over time. And it will really, really matter in that moment if God is just merely a footnote in your life or whether he's a big God. Really, you can't wait on the Lord without a big God being at the center of your life. If you you get anything, get this, you can't really wait on the Lord if there's not a big God. I mean, you can survive, but you can't really wait on the Lord, truly wait on the Lord if there's not a big God at the center of your life. Joseph had a big God. He lived his life knowing sin would be against him. And actually, because of that big God, patience strengthened his resolve to fight against sin. I'm not going to do this wickedness against the Lord. I'm not going to do it. It strengthened his resolve. The delay isn't easy. The detour wasn't what he wanted. It won't be what you want all the time. But God is good, and he knows what he's doing. As you read through the story of Joseph, you're, you're just reminded. Impatience can weaken your resolve against sin, but impatience can also, can also lead you to believe that like when things turn and you have a, have a position, you get a position, like your fortunes turn, and Impatience can lead you to see that as like, well, I deserve this. Like, I've been waiting for a long time. I've earned this. And it can make you see that like any gift you have, any gift that's God-given, actually is yours to exploit for just whatever makes you happy and whatever lets you do what you want to do. What if? What if things reverse and you begin to have power? So we don't have time to unpack the whole story of Joseph, but Joseph has one skill, a spiritual skill, that's really, really a good one to have at the time. He interprets dreams. It seems like in the end of Genesis, everybody's having a dream, and everybody needs it interpreted. So butler, a baker, pharaoh, everybody needs a dream interpreted, and he has that skill. So, so how does he process that? I mean, that particular skill will change Joseph's life. And he's had to wait. But that particular skill is going to open wide the doors. And he's going to be able to get a position that he's never had before. And he's going to have power that he could exploit. 
for his own benefit. But once again, let's just like open up our ears and say, Joseph, what do you think about this skill you have of interpreting dreams? Well, what, what, what do you think about it? You read about it in Genesis 41. So what, what does he say in Genesis 41, verse 16? Joseph answers Pharaoh, it's not in me, but God. God's the one that gives answers, not me. Again, this is the skill that's just going to unlock everything he's been waiting on. Maybe it all happens. And yet, Joseph has a big God, and it's more to it than just him getting out of his mess and into a place where he's got some power he can exercise. Verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, and God's the one that reveals to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 28, it is as I told Pharaoh, God shows to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. I'd love for you to read the backstory of all this. What I want you to see more than anything is how big God was to Joseph. So he doesn't enter in this and say, I think I can help you because I happen to have what you need, but I need to ask what's in it for me. Can we get that in writing? He says, God's at work. God reveals. God shows. God gives answer. God fixes times. Impatience could have blinded him to the work of God. It could have made him feel, you know what? Man, I have suffered at the hands of my brothers. I have been in prison and enough is enough. But he's still talking about God. As the story unfolds, Joseph is given a place of honor. And, and he has this position. I think if I read it right, he's second in command in all of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh himself. He has this interaction later on in the story where he interacts with his brothers. This could be a moment when he confronts his brothers who are in need of what he has to offer. Oh, isn't this poetic justice? I mean, this is, this is perfect. He can just mess them up so bad. And he can do it in a painful kind of twist the knife sort of way. But he's living in a bigger world than that. This gift of power that he's been given, he's actually going to use not to serve his own interests, but to bless others. And so you find him speaking. What, what's on Joseph's lips as he's confronting his brothers who have treated him wrong? Look at Genesis 45. In verse 5, he says, you don't need to be distressed. He's saying this to his brothers. You don't have to be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And now he takes such a favorable, such a generous view on this. In verse 5, he says, because God sent me here. Well, Joseph, that's an amazing way of looking at it. God sent you there. Verse 7 of this same chapter in Genesis. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. Verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here. Again, what a, what a generous way of saying that. It wasn't you who sent me here in the first place. God was up to something. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house. Verse 9, hurry and go get my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. You may be waiting. You may be waiting right now for something to change. And, and you know what it is. Immediately when I say it, it goes in your mind. I, I, I'm Curtis, I could, I could tell you an hour of how I've waited and waited and waited. And what if it does change? What if tomorrow it all changes? I'm sure that would be great. I'm sure you would thank the Lord for answered prayer. But then what are you going to do after that, after it all changes and you get what you want? 
What Joseph realizes is there's more to life than just a position. There's more to life than just getting what you want. There was more that God wanted him to do. And there was more that God wanted to do in Joseph's life. He would be part of the script that God was writing. And you cannot, you cannot, you cannot wait on the Lord. You might survive, but you cannot wait on the Lord without a big God right at the center. And because of a big God, patience can help you see the gifts of God that he has given you, even if they're long, long waited for. It's an opportunity to serve him and to bless others. There's another thing as we just track Joseph's life and kind of peek into like, what, what do you have to say about this life, Joseph? And he's always like, he's always bringing up God all the time. I find that impatience can also cause you and cause me to live in a small, selfish world. When I'm operating only on the level of impatience, I want what I want right now, I begin to doubt God's goodness, doubt God's wisdom. It can cause me to live, it can cause you to live in a small, selfish world. You know, you know this person. This person who you would be the first to admit life has gone hard for them. They face all sorts of challenges. They've had to bear burdens that are not easy. You know this person. You, it, it pains your heart to see this person because you know it's not been easy, but yet in their heart, they are such a bitter person. Their life has become so defined by just getting wrecked that that's all they can think about. They've got this catalog, this record of wrongs, and it stretches back into the 1900s. <laughs> it's this and that and this and that. And, oh, I remember that. And I'll never forget that. And she got that. And that never should have happened. And then you won't, he treated me this way. And you know the story. You know it so well because you've been told it a million times. And as you watch, you watch this person that maybe had a full life at one time, but now has just started shrinking because it's just me first and any... Anything, even when you try to say, look at what God's given you, look at this positive thing, there's, they're going to kind of come back at that with, yeah, but yeah, but this, but that, but this, but that, and look how life is just totally wrecked. And you realize what is happening is this, instead of a God that is big, actually God's become small and there's this self-absorbed world. They grow bitter, they grow cynical. Maybe, maybe it's not they, maybe it's you, maybe it's me. We're the best we can do. You just come out with something like, well, it is what it is. That's my theology. It is what it is. And our heart grows cold and bitter. No gifts from God, no space for others. That's so different than how Joseph responds. Once again, please, please. This is a human here who was dealt a, a very, very difficult hand. Time has gone on, but it has not always been been Joseph's friend. Sometimes he sat, he sat two years just waiting for someone to remember he, he was in prison. I mean, we, we know this from Joseph's story. And so, yet he, he doesn't grow this small, selfish person. I, I love what it says in Genesis chapter 41. It tells us about the naming of his first children. So in Joseph, it, Joseph says in Genesis 41, once again, let's, let's listen to what he says. Joseph called the name of the firstborn, his firstborn, Manasseh. Why did he call him Manasseh? Because this was on Joseph's lips as he's looking at the birth of his first child. God has made me to forget all my hardship and all my father's house. 
God's made me forget. I mean, he could have named the child Mess, because that's what I've had to deal with all these years. Could have named him Bitter, because that's what I feel right now. But Manasseh will carry the rest of his life a name given to him by his father that tells a story of a very big God. What an amazing thing to give. What an amazing thing to give your children and your grandchildren and your great... I mean, maybe your story is one of pain, but what an amazing thing to live out of that small, selfish world and say there's... God was up to some other things here. And, and even in verse 52, the name of his second, he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful. God's blessed me in the land of my affliction. He's not turning his back. He knows he was afflicted. He knows he suffered. But God gave him something there. Even in Genesis 48, we kind of got the dying words. uh, He's bringing his sons to his father. And these are my sons whom God has given me here. God did this. He can't undo the past. But he also will not be blind to the fact that he's been a recipient of the favor of God. And he's going to pass that on to another generation. I can just say it again. You can't really wait on the Lord without a big God in your life right at the center. What keeps us from being angry? What keeps us from being jaded? So now, instead of just like this trite, and everybody lived happily ever after that we have in Genesis 50, maybe it goes deeper, and maybe we press in a little bit more. We can read it again in Genesis 50 and verse 19. Joseph says to his brothers, yeah, those brothers, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God, my big God, meant it for good to bring it about that the many people should be kept alive as they are today. You don't have to be afraid. I'm going to provide for you, your little ones. And he comforted them, spoke kindly to them, Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. He lived, he lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Mekir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And listen again. Let's just kind of tune in to what Joseph has to say. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But now we've got God again as the subject of the sentence here. But God will visit you. And God will bring you up out of the land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you'll carry my bones from here. This is an amazing story. Actually, though, I've grown accustomed to hearing stories of people who had like a really hard life growing up and ended up succeeding. So there's, there's probably going to be one on the NFL today. You know, someone that was in a, in a particular difficult place. There's going to be some story that, that emerges this week that you're going to read about. Someone that was, grew up in poverty or maybe family abandoned them. And you're going to read their story of success. I was, interesting, even as I was preparing for this message, yesterday I was listening to a podcast. And this podcast was one of my, one of my favorite football players back in the day. And and they interviewed him and talked about, you know, all the adversity that he had overcome. And it was interesting to hear him because here was, here was the success story, but it sounded so much different than Joseph's because kind of the essence of his life, like boil it down to, you know, what do you take away? What would you, what would you pass on? What would you say to those, you know, who want to know more about your story? And he would say, well, frankly, haters are going to hate, but... I just resolved to live out my purpose and fulfill my dreams. And I'd say you ought to, too. 
And when I, was, when I heard that, and I thought, you know, something about that just sounds so right, especially in America, right? It just sounds right. Haters are going to hate, but you just do your thing. And eventually you're going to get to the place where everybody else will look at you and go, you made it. You just keep telling yourself that. But then I put that side by side and I see Joseph. And I hear Joseph talk about sin and say, I've got a God and he's big. And I, God forbid I sin against him. And he looks at his position and his authority. And he says, who am I? Like, it's God who gives interpretations of dreams. It's God who made me Lord in Egypt. He has the opportunity to live in a small, self-absorbed world. Instead, he's taking care of Egypt. He's taking care of his brothers. He's taking care of his dad. He's passing on his faith to another generation. That's Joseph. Joseph lives in a world with a big God. God big enough to deal with rebels who sin against him. Deal with brokenness, deal with the sin of mankind. He hoped in a God and he didn't even know this, the full capacity, the God who would, who would send his only son to go and sin for us that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish. You've heard Joseph's story. I wonder what, what is yours? Over time... Has the waiting, has the waiting on God, has the waiting on the Lord begun to diminish, diminish God? None of us would say, yeah, I have a very small God in my life. But maybe you, maybe you see him as not like, he, he doesn't seem as interested in changing the circumstances, which you'd really like him to do. Or maybe he doesn't accelerate the timetable, which would be very nice at a time like this. And, and so in your mind, like even the prayers, he just doesn't seem that big to pray to anymore. He doesn't seem like he can do that much or is interested in doing that much. And, You've heard Joseph's story, but I want to ask, is God at the center of yours? Are you waiting on the Lord? One way I know you're waiting on him is if he is a big God and he's not a footnote, he is right in the center and he's present and he cares. In a moment, we're going to remember what Christ has done for us through communion. And I was so grateful that this was the Sunday. I think we've talked about a God who's big and a God who's present and a God who cares. And like, I, I, I sometimes think I know that categorically, but what I need is a tangible reminder. And this is what God is going to do today. He's going to call us around his table. We're going to have, we're going to have a a symbol, the bread reminds us his body was broken for us. He cares. His blood was shed for us. He cares. We're going to nourish ourselves with the truth of a big God. As the deacons are ready, if you can come and serve us, I, I want to draw our attention to a particular psalm, and uh, the guys are going to come up and actually sing a, a version of this psalm, but it's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I, w- I want you, if we could just even leave those words up as we distribute the bread and distribute the juice. I want us to reflect on the fact that we are set before a table, a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I want us to think about 
Yes, even while I'm waiting, there's a big God. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to be afraid. Let's take a moment and think about our big God. Confession of sin would be just like a horrible thing if we had a God and we weren't sure how he's going to respond. But we know if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, we do confess as individuals, as a body, that you are a shepherd, but sometimes we still, we still have things that we want. We get impatient. We grow cold in the delays. We get frustrated by the detours. Yet still, you are working out your good plan. Forgive us for our sins. Give us a bigger view of you. May we walk even from this place with greater confidence in your goodness and your mercy, which are ours all the days of our life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.